Welcome back to Seeing Life from a Different Angle. This is podcast number eight. I hope you have enjoyed the other seven or the ones that you've been able to listen to. And I would love to get some feedback on those podcasts if you're interested. I do want to make this better um, for you. I want it to be what it is that you would like it to be as well. Something that educates, entertains, all the above and more. So I thought today I would address the question of risk. I know it's something that I have mentioned time and again in the other podcasts, but without really ever going into detail as to what does it mean to truly take a risk, I do think that, you know, there are risks that are important for us to take at a philosophical level, a religious level, and a psychological level, but I think of them really as kind of this triangle that whatever affects one adversely or conflictually affects the others as well. And so when we struggle with ourselves psychologically, for instance, it's going to have an effect upon our philosophical perspective of life. It's going to have an effect upon our religious beliefs and perspectives. And so too with the philosophical or the religious. You know, if there's a conflict that's going on there, it's going to affect us. But I think at the core, these three can't really be separated from each other. And as much as there were many, many years when I would look back after school at Virginia Tech and I would think that I'd rather live without the concept or the consideration of philosophy, I really have come to realize that there's no way to escape that piece. And indeed, it actually is something that now as I read, you know, different philosophical works by Aristotle and Socrates and Plato and C.S. Lewis and George MacDonald, I find myself much more interested in how that philosophy and how religion are interrelated in terms of our psychological perspective as well. I don't think we can escape the fact that all are related to each other. You know, I think back to many, many years of reading Freud. You know, I've been reading Freud since I was 13 years old, and so that's a long time. I'm 60 years old now. And, you know, one of the things that is significant about Freud and many of his followers is the power of their atheism. And I think in many ways, you know, it's interesting to consider, you know, what is at the root of our struggle with religion? What is at the root of that goes back to something that I addressed in one of my blogs. So I thought I would address it here and kind of talk about it. I know I've addressed it slightly before in one of the other podcasts, but I think that when we look at one's relationship with God, going back to something that is of critical significance is the idea of the wide open reality. A lot of what it is that this podcast is really all about is trying to go back to that wide open reality to be able to see things through the eyes that we once saw them through before fear and terror and anxiety and trepidation and despair struck our world and made us kind of hunker down and hide away from the things that once were so clear, once were so beautiful for us. And I think when we think about the relationship that the individual has with God, it does at its purest go back to or seek to go back to that space of a wide open reality. Because I think when we look at it, you know, it is like the picture of two beings 
looking at each other. You know, there's God looking at us, us looking at God. And in that space, you know, there is a, such a strong, powerful, nurturing, loving connection. And we long for that in the real world as well. But the real world distracts us. The real world challenges us and it disappoints us. And it's by its very nature, it's going to be disappointing. This is not heaven here on earth. You know, there is really no such thing here. However, we can, I think, seek to attain it by knocking down the walls of the fence that surround us and opening ourselves up to the possibility that there is more, that we can return to the more that once existed, but now has become unconscious to us. I was talking with my friend Tom this week about that very image of two individuals looking at each other. In this case, God looking at man and man looking at God in childhood. And, you know, I think when we think about, as we talked about with Tom, when we think about the how we live our lives and how the world has its effect upon us, there is no space of nirvana on earth. But when we seek to take risks, it's ultimately about aiming toward that end, about trying to find a better world for ourselves, the world that we have shied away from for a very, very long period of time, out of that fear and out of the need to defend ourselves. And so when we go back to the image of the two individuals, two beings looking at each other, there is God and there is the man that God made. And God is looking at man with love. But because life, as I say, is disappointing, is frustrating, is despairing, it oftentimes leads us, we believe, out of necessity to turn and look in other directions, to seek out other things, what I refer to as artificial pleasures or fantasized pleasures. And we build this world around us that has these things. And we say to ourselves, this is the way life is supposed to be. These are the things that life gives me. You know, I want this wild sexual life or I want to use drugs or alcohol or I want to spend my time fantasizing about what it would be like to be in a relationship with someone, you know, or I want to commit acts toward other people that will give me what it is I'm looking for, even if they don't get what it is they're looking for. And the more we do these things, the more we turn away from God toward these things, towards these materialistic or pleasurable focuses for our body, the more we move away from who it is that we are. You know, Freud talked about, instead of using the word psyche, he used the word soul. And I believe that that's true. George MacDonald said, you know, you do not tell a child that they have a soul. You tell them that they have a body and that they are a soul. And I think there's something to be said for that. You know, because when we, in that image of God looking at us and us turning away from God, we start to focus on the body. We start to focus on the material things that will please me or protect me or save me or give me some gratification of some form. And we fail to recognize that if we were to turn back, if we were to look toward love again, that we would really find everything that we are looking for. You know, as long as your eyes are focused on earth, there will be no heaven. As long as your eyes are focused on heaven, 
you will have both heaven and earth. And I think, as C.S. Lewis said, and I think that it's important for us to consider, you know, what is the risk or what is it that makes it hard to take the risk to turn around and see God and see love? Because really that's what it's all about. Our whole lives have been spent in the pursuit of love and in the pursuit away from love. And really love is kind of the crux of that triangle. You know, when we think about philosophy, you know, I remember courses in college where they would talk about philosophy, whether it was Socrates or Kant, you know, they would talk about the happiness and John Locke, in particular, Thomas Hobbes, talk about happiness. And yet, I believe ultimately they missed the mark. Not that I'm smarter than they are, but I think from experience and from the work I've done with patients and the readings I've done, you know, and the perspective I have, I think that they missed the mark. And the mark is this that happiness cannot come from the attainment of anything. It certainly cannot come from a momentary pleasure, from a brief sexual encounter, or, you know, smoking pots, or drinking, or carousing with your friends, or even hanging out with your friends necessarily. It's not going to bring you happiness unless it's about a connection, unless it's about love. As true as well with religion is that religion is focused on love. You know, you can disagree with me all you wish because you look at the Old Testament and you think, wow, this is just out of control. People killing each other, people taking over each other's kingdoms, you know, one thing after another. And you can look at the Crusades and you can say these are horrible, terrible, no good, very bad things to steal the title from that child's book. But I think at the same time, the New Testament is about a statement of love. It is about Christ coming down and saying, you know, this is who God really is, not who man made him out to be. You know, we, you think about those individuals who are in some type of competition and they say, God, let me win. And it is fascinating really is because if everyone was to say, God, let me win, you know, what's the point? You know, it's not about the winning. It's not about the temporary gratifications. It can never be because those artificial pleasures don't connect us with anything. They may take away the tension of the moment, but they bring us nothing in the long run. We may look back and say, wow, this was a great moment I had, but why was it a great moment? And my guess would be that those great moments were some moments that while I'm achieving something, that at the same time, it also touches something deeper inside of me. But I think those are also moments sometimes for deep sadness. You know, I remember running a cross-country race in high school. And I had decided that no matter what, I was going to win this race. And it was a JV race. I was in 10th grade. And, you know, I'm wearing these Kmart shoes that were heavy as anything. And yet, you know, I figured, you know, I'm going to win this. I've got to win this. I need to do something. Because usually I would end up somewhere in the middle or toward the end of the pack. And so when the race began, I took off like a bat out of hell and I started running and I ran as fast as I could and I won the race and I won it by a couple hundred yards. And I remember the look on my coach's face 
when I crossed the finish line, and he had the smile on his face. But within moments, that smile was gone. And, you know, he was focused on the four runners that were in the varsity who had run the race and who had won the race. And it was very gratifying for the moment. And it's a moment that I remember and probably one of the highlights of my high school experience. But I would say the reason that it was was because I think it touched something deeper inside of me because I was willing to take a risk. But at the same time, I also recognize looking back at it that it really didn't gratify anything in the long term. There wasn't a deeper connection between myself and Coach Kid. You know, it didn't make for a relationship. It was just a moment. And it was gratifying for a moment, but it didn't gratify in the long term because there wasn't connection. So it was a risk, and it was an important risk for me to take. But at the lo- in the long run, it didn't end up giving me everything that I was looking for, though it did give me a certain measure of gratification in my life, satisfaction with myself that I knew by taking a risk I was going to achieve something. But to go back to the idea that we must take these risks in our lives in order to move forward with our lives, like that cross-country experience, you know, we need to try to do what we can to put ourselves out there, to say, I'm going to expose myself. And I think that that was the key. It was about exposing myself in that cross-country race to being something, to taking this chance. You know, it's like in grad school when I was teaching as a teaching assistant, you know, it was about taking a chance. I, I grew up incredibly shy. I couldn't speak to girls. I didn't know how to relate to them. I grew up in a family of five boys. And so relating to women was like relating to my mother, you know, lovely woman. I loved her to pieces, but she wasn't my age. And so it wasn't the same as trying to talk to a girl. So when I went to grad school, unfortunately, I was married to a woman who loved me deeply, who I love deeply. We, you know, went to school back in Virginia and went to grad school. And I taught, I decided to teach. And that was a huge risk because it meant putting myself out there. And I think while There were some connections made with my fellow teaching assistants. You know, it was really about the risk of saying, you know, I need more than what it is I have right now. And indeed, not so much more than what it is that Mary could give me. But no, it's about a statement of I need more to, in a sense, to break down these walls, to say that there is more to life than than I've been allowing myself to receive. And I think it does come down to that. You know, when I wrote my blog for this past week, you know, it was about love and what is love. And one of the things I talked about was to be able to say we need to be able to take the risk of saying, I want to be loved again. I want to feel love in my life. And I think each of us have these moments where we pull away and do not allow love in our lives. And I'm no different than anyone else in that regard. And there were many years when I would pull back and not allow myself to be loved as deeply as the people in my life wanted to love me. And what a foolish thing to do, because it was fear-driven. I stayed with it, and I defended myself against it, and acted as if the world was at fault instead of my own psyche. And when I came to realize that I was making a mistake, that's the moment when I took the risk and said, 
I'm open to letting you love me. I'm open to letting you give love to me and love you in return. So whether it's the moment in high school or whether it is those moments in grad school or whether it's those moments within the past year in my own life where I took those risks, each one of those risks was designed to say, I recognize that I have shut myself off to that wide open reality in my life, a place where love does truly exist. And while Coach Kidd may not have given me, you know, the praise and the accolades or the connection that I longed for, and while I did not have, you know, these blossoming relationships with my students in grad school, though I did have some really good friends who were fellow teachers, while I did not have those things, it was still the most important piece was taking the risk of saying, I recognize that, you know, I have shut myself off to the possibility of letting other people in. I have shut myself off to the possibility of other people being there with me and for me. It is one of our natural inclinations psychologically to run away and hide. And I think that's one of those things that we do psychologically and particularly religiously. I think we tend to seek out a way to hide as a way of protecting ourselves from what it is we believe to be the case. But how foolish we are, you know, because after everything is said and done, unconsciously within all of us, there's still that little child, the child in adult's clothing. Those layers of clothing that have been built up over these years to try to protect us, or at least we believe, to protect us from this cold and cruel and unloving world. And these layers of clothing that say to us, okay, but if I choose this, these artificial pleasures, these things that give me instantaneous pleasure, or if I choose the fantasized pleasures where I can imagine that the world is the way that I would like it to be, and I live in that space and hope that it will never be challenged. You know, as long as I choose these things, I'm not really taking a risk. I'm not saying to myself, I need to knock down this fence. I'm not saying to myself that my myopic reality is fear-based. I'm not saying to myself that I am worth loving. You know, I think when we do that psychologically, even if we focus on it philosophically and say that happiness is attaining the things that we long for, even that is run out of fear. It's based in fear. Because really, at the core, we also must connect the other piece, which is the religious piece. We must go back to the source of love, which is the fact that we are created by a loving being. We are created by God who says, I love you. Be you. Be yourself. As Matthew Kelly says in his, in his podcasts, you know, be the best self. Be your best self. And I think that to be our best self means just that notion of being able to knock down that fence, to be able to recognize that when somebody throws something into your yard, metaphorically speaking, and it frightens you or overwhelms you or scares you, it's about being able to hold on to it for just a few moments, just a little longer today than you did yesterday, enough to say, I'm willing to see what this is, what this really means. You know, when we think about 
the idea of Christianity, for instance. It is so easy for us to dismiss Christianity as a religion of violence. But let me pose this to you. The reason that we see it as a religion of violence, and I'm not saying that there hasn't been violence, but the reason we pose it as a religion of violence is because somebody threw something into our yard, into this fenced-in myopic reality. And the something that they threw in was God is love. That Christians, through agape, through that type of love, seek to connect with each other seek to be in that more wide open reality in that relationship with each other and with God. And yet we're fearful of that. And so we come up with a myriad of different responses. One of those responses being that we, that Christianity, I should say, is a religion of violence. That is no different in that case from Islam or any other religion that might be violent, you know, and I think it is also the same can be said, I should say, for agnosticism or atheism. They're both, all three, really in the long run, attempts for us to protect ourselves from the fear of something thrown into our yard that doesn't make sense for us. But if we're to take a risk religiously, I think it means holding on to that notion for a little while. I don't expect that everyone that listens to this believes in God. You know, I don't believe that that's probably the case. You know, as much as I would wish it to be so that everyone were to believe. But I do think at the same time, if I could encourage even one of you just to say, I'm going to hold on to this notion that God is love just for a moment, just for a moment today, maybe just for a moment longer tomorrow to consider those possibilities. You know, last week I talked about a patient of mine who, when she was five years old, her mother passed away and she grew to hate God because he took her mother away. There was a memory that she had toward the end of therapy. And that memory was about a priest who would come to see her mother. And he would pray with her and for a long period of time, she thought that that priest had failed, that God had failed, that the priest hadn't saved her mother through a miracle. And yet what she came to realize was and recall was how much the priest would cry when he would sit there with her mother, how he would cry because she was in pain and how he would cry that she was going to pass away because he really did care about her as a human being. And I think that's the point, you know, that's about the risk of believing in those moments as she came to, that it isn't about hating God because God took away something from us. It isn't about hating God because God didn't protect us from those moments of pain in our lives. But it's about recognizing that there is love in those moments. You know, there is love that is given to us all the time constantly in our relationship with God, just like it should be in our relationship with each other. Because I said, as I said in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, you know, the image of God looking at the child is really the same as a mother or a father looking at a child, a husband and a wife looking at each other. You know, it is 
the same as two best friends looking at each other. Because ultimately, it is about taking that risk of saying, you know, I believe that I am worth loving. So if I can encourage you for one moment, just to linger longer with the things that are thrown into your yard and recognize that the temporary things that you achieve in life are just that. They will not buy you an eternity. They will not buy you even a moment of happiness beyond those few leading moments that you may have when tension goes away. I want to thank you for listening, and I look forward to hearing back from you about your thoughts, your ideas, things you'd like me to discuss, and I wish you well. <laughs>